0: Good morning, afternoon, and or evening. You are listening to the Right On Track podcast where we talk about all things Thomas the Tank Engine and friends. My name is Parry. I am, of course, one of the three regular hosts you hear on this very podcast. I am joined by my two very good friends, one of which, of course, is Master Tom Denham. Hello.
1: How are you doing?
0: I'm doing very well, thank you. And, of course, the other one is Master Connor Jonas... G'day. You having a good day today, Parry? Yeah, yeah, I'm having a good day. I think it's always a good day when we record, isn't it? It oh, is. It's it fun. Is. It's
2: banter. It's it's what I look forward to.
0: It's what we all look forward to, and I'm sure it's what all of our listeners look forward to hearing as well. This is episode 49 of the podcast. We are still talking series 6 of the television program. Connor, why don't you walk us through what we're going to be discussing today?
2: So today, Parry, we're going to be talking about... Three, or at least two, but definitely three very memorable Series 6 episodes from Toby Had a Little Lamb,
0: Thomas Percy and the Squeak, and Thomas and the Jet Engine. Excellent. And I understand, Denim, you've got an interview lined up for us as well.
1: I do, I do. We're having a very special conversation with none other than Nicholas Jones, the producer of the Bookmark documentary from BBC... The Thomas the Tank Engine Man
2: I guess you could call him The Thomas the Tank Engine Man man. I guess he could <laughs>
1: But yeah. uh, he, 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 he's got some Very exciting news About his documentary um, How it's coming out on Blu-ray For the first time since 1995 mm. um, Some very Juicy stuff in there to look forward to
0: mm, I'm very much looking forward to hearing that conversation But before we get into that We will cover all of the stories that we'll be reviewing today, starting with episode 20, Toby had a little lamb. Now, Denim, you've already got a clip lined up for us. What can we hear in this clip?
1: Absolutely. So in this clip that we're about to hear, Toby is trundling through the snow and uh, he happens upon, this is our first uh, formal meeting of Farmer McColl, isn't it?
2: It is indeed, yes. Uh, however, he isn't named here unless you're talking about the re where he is named. Mm.
1: This is true. So, Toby's trundling along in the snow. It's looking like a, quite a decent blizzard, and the farmer has some news for him.
3: Still, I'll soon be back in my nice dry shed. But suddenly, he could see a farmer standing knee-deep in snow. He was waving a red flag. Toby's driver applied the brakes. My phone lines are down. All the roads are blocked and my sheep have just started lambing, the farmer said. They're trapped on the hillsides, cut off by the snow. What can we do to help? Toby chuffed. I need a vet as quickly as possible. We'll stop at the next signal box, said Toby's driver. I'll phone the vet from there. Very noble of Toby and his crew to help out a
0: farmer in need, uh, and really, that's all this story is. Yeah, it, it, it's it's not a lot happens. It's not all that exciting. It's just that Toby and Henrietta and his crew help a farmer with his lambing sheep. So, yeah, yes, with, with the, threat, the times, uh,
1: with the thresh of uh, very deep snow as well.
2: Oh, yes, As snow that we later do see uh, become a problem. So, Toby Had a Little Lamb, uh, written by Jenny McDade. Uh, and, of course, a uh, title based on the nursery rhyme, Mary Had a Little Lamb, the American poem mm. by Sarah Joseph a. Hale, published 1830, most likely based on events when Sarah was a teacher. And... It is also, and this is not only a a sort of moment for the show, nothing changes, but it's a very special figure and also one for us. It is the 150th episode of the television series. Oh, there you go. But we've technically reviewed 151 because we sort of spoke about
0: the missing coach. And we also reviewed Thomas and the Magic Railroad, which you could also argue is an episode. yeah, but, but we sort broke
2: that against, like, two things, but then it's about the length of about eight different episodes. So, regardless, mm. 150th episode of the show, and it, it doesn't feature Thomas in it. It doesn't feature really any character that uh, is certainly seen around, at least at this point uh, in the show, very often. Because Toby's got a main role. His first main role since, well, last series. And uh, <laughs> Duck has also got a main role as
0: well. However, it's he's only got one line. But he's still in the episode. Mm. It's yeah, an I... interesting pairing as well. I mean, we don't often see Duck and Toby together, do we? We we rarely see seven and eight pair up.
1: Mm. It, it's quite nice. And I think visually quite aesthetically pleasing to see them together. Like, I don't think... Like, obviously, they've been in close proximity to each other in episodes like Thomas and the Missing Christmas Tree, but that's really about it. Mm. They, they haven't had much one-on-one interaction.
4: Mm. I,
2: and I would say they look absolutely stunning in this episode with their stark mm. contrast against the snow.
4: Mm.
2: I feel that this pairing wouldn't have worked in any other setting Because with the vivid light green and the nice rich brown against the white landscape, it works so well. However, I feel if you're working it in the brown and green landscape, they'll sort of blend in too much to
0: it. You're quite right, Connor. I mean, the visuals are beautiful, as they always are in a snow-covered episode. Yes. And they even seem to have some kind of mist or fog
2: effect in this episode as well. Mm, That they do. As the engines sort of appear and disappear out of the blizzard of the snow.
1: Mm. Very true.
2: So, Denim, why don't you walk us through what happens in this episode?
1: So basically in the story, uh, as we heard in the clip before, uh, Toby is going along through the snow and he uh, finds Farmer McColl after waving him down with a red flag. And he says, my sheep are trapped. And that he needs a vest to get him uh, back to where the sheep are. But uh, through trial and error, it takes them a few attempts to get there. They tried taking Duck there, but he can't get through. And then it's down to taking Toby's old branch line to get them to where the sheep are. Which which is really interesting, I guess... um, from a a, a sense of continuity and a sense of geography on the island of Soda, because up until, I guess, now-ish, like, we kind of assumed that Toby's branch line was pulled up completely. Mm. Yeah,
2: or at least in the Railway Series, his old line wasn't even on the island. Mm. And this is the first confirmation of that fact, apart from B-roll footage, that it is on the island.
1: Although yes. it does say on the stations in Series One that it is in Arlesdale.
2: Yes, but th- there are many places that share names. Like I mean, there are how many different places in America called London and Paris? I think Portland. there's a, yeah, I think there's a Melbourne in Florida. There
0: is indeed. There's a lot of Springfields as well.
2: Yeah, so so like I mean. Place names, they're really not too much to go off of. Like, I mean, for example, in England, there are so many rivers called the River Avon. And the reason why is because when people asked what's that river called to the native people in the area, they just said Avon. The reason why is because Avon was the word for river.
1: <laughs> river, river.
2: Exactly. Uh, yeah,
1: so makes sense. so sense.
2: It being called Arlesdale End doesn't really disturb me too much because the names and geography could just be a wonderful coincidence that he's worked in Islesdale, he's working in another Islesdale. It happens.
1: Although, mm, as, oh, oh. A, 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 mm. as we did tap into this, I think when we spoke about Toby and the Stout Gentleman many, many seasons ago now, um, my personal headcanon theory is that Toby did, in fact, work on the tramways on the mainland. But it was then he was then deported to um, Sodor, where he worked on his own branch line there.
2: Mm. Mm. Yes. Uh, So they take Toby on his old line where he needs to cross an old rickety bridge, which Mm. we've never seen before. It's never been mentioned before, but it's a rickety
0: bridge and it's memorable. It's something sort of. of a motif for Toby, isn't it? Because we have Toby's tightrope where, of course, he crossed the yeah. quarry bridge, which got swept away by water. He, in Toby and the Flood, he crossed another bridge, which saw him being swept away on the bridge with the water. And now yeah. we've got this rickety old bridge here, which threatens to give way, which, but doesn't actually... Now, the, the logic behind this, I think, is re- really strange. And I mean this as the story in terms of the story as a whole. Because we've got Duck, who's unable to clear a snowdrift, and then uh, Toby suggests he could run on his old branch line, and the, the Fat Controller says, "No, Duck's too heavy for your branch line." And Toby says, "Well, I could do it then," and somehow he doesn't have a problem. I mean, the the other thing that confuses me is if there's Toby's old branch line meets up eventually with the branch line that Farmer McCall's on, like. How does that work? Is it like a loop line? Is it? No, so confusing. I would
2: assume it. Yeah, I would say it acts as a loop line, most likely starting from somewhere off a main line or other uh, branch line. And then they'll probably both meet at a shared mine, mm. some kind of industry that would often have rails being relayed to it. But yes, eventually toby and henrietta and the vet reach farmer mccall and then all the lambs are all healthily born and then toby uh goes oh henrietta can keep the lambs warm and then toby stays there for the next several days mm-hmm. to, to 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 look after the lambs which i understand but And this is, like, my one gripe
1: with the episode. Sure, Mavis can do my work.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I understand not wanting to part with Henrietta, but, I mean, if Thomas can leave Annie and Clarabelle any time he wants, I, I mean, Toby could leave Henrietta for a little while, you know, especially if it's to help a friend in need, which is the moral of the episode. Well, we, da, da, we, da, da, we do da, da, know
1: da. that Toby has attachment issues, which we do find out later in Hasty, Hannah.
2: Yes, yes. And on the mention of the CGI series, the old rickety bridge does make appearance in the future, specifically in series 24 when it collapses and Ruth the Inventor creates a solution for a new bridge which walks... A, a walking bridge? Yeah, so so so, Parry hasn't seen any of the new stuff. You've got no, all this no, to I look, look forward to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Literally, they replace the rickety old bridge after it's collapsed with a bridge that's about half or a third the length. Mm-hmm. Toby goes on it and then big legs on it walk it across the other side of the ravine. Oh. It's it got m- very flat ground to walk on as well. It's
1: It makes an amazing Trackmaster set
2: oh yes
0: yes can we get back to the story at hand please yes of course
2: um so uh there there are a few amazing things about this episode just subtle subtle things that make it all the better for example um when you see sir topham and the vet at the station they both have rosy red cheeks which really Mm. would work well in the snow you get the dialogue, the gl- ghostly glowing eye as Toby arrives and it's just his headlamp. Mm. But it's all those little details there that really build up this episode for me.
0: Mm. Mm. You know what really struck me about the little figurines is was how the vet had these really bright blue eyes. Mm, mm. mm. stunning, stunning. Actually, yes. question though. Normally,
2: isn't the farmer like well equipped to deal with lambs and eels? Uh
0: use, as they're called, female sheep use giving birth? Well, yes, but in winter when there's a heavy snowstorm and the lambs are at their most delicate and their most fragile, they're not used to the elements essentially. So Fair, fair. Yes. I I'd give the element thing, but even then, even then.
2: Just, just put them in next to the fireplace. Come it's on, farmer. So you, you grew up away. in the city, Connor. I mean, honestly. <laughs> but, 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 that's the question I, I've had. Um, there is one thing I've noticed though, and I had a question, then I answered it. Because mm-hmm. my first question was, why is Sir Topham there with the vet? Do they just need a, you know, a, a, a authoritative figure there to? get the plot rolling but this is at Callan station in series four uh mind that bike Tom Tiffpa is asked to go into Fat Controller's office to sign some papers which is when he leaves his bike and that's awesome at Callan station so considering this double amount of continuity I'm saying that on this part of the line Sir Topham has got like a secondary or tertiary office
0: yeah that makes sense okay Hmm. And, of course, in the railway series, his uh, his home is at uh, Edward Station, is it not? Wellsworth?
1: Yeah. Hmm.
0: He's all yeah, over the I place. had nothing to add to that. I just thought I'd throw that fact out there. Well, it's it's, it's, it's um, a nice it's not, fun
1: fact.
2: On the
0: note of nothing to add, though...
2: <laughs> There's not much more to talk about with the episode.
0: Well, well, there is one thing I'd like to raise, actually, kind of. And that's the title. I know it's obviously referencing a nursery rhyme, but it's kind of misleading because Toby doesn't have the lamb, and more to no. the point, yet yeah, there, there are multiple lambs in the story. So, you Fair. know, yeah,
1: I reckon a better title would have been something like Toby the Shepherd.
2: Ah, that would have maybe, been maybe. Well, from what I. It... From what I was expecting when I was first watching uh, the episode, way back younger and even just then, because I'd forgotten most of it, um, I was expecting that it would be like Skarloe the Brave. I believe that's the episode with the storm.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Where the lambs are stuck high in the hills due to the snow and Toby needs to plow through to go rescue them and bring them down to the farmer. Like the paddocks have been cut off by the snowstorm. And there mm. you could have a specific thing where, you know, one of my uh, 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 a ewe has gotten stuck and it's about to give birth to baby lamb. Baby lamb, need help, please. You know, and then Toby goes into the paddock and gets the sheep. That would work so much with the title. I feel make a much more interesting episode because you can keep all the same details just a slightly different ending.
0: Mm. Hmm. Now, I I actually do want to add something here um, because Denham mentioned that the the story could be called Toby the Shepherd. Now, uh, Denham, you're much better versed on your, you know, uh, religious education than I am. I understand that Jacob was a shepherd, correct? That's right. Yeah. Jacob was a shepherd. Okay. And I also understand that in some cultures, tobias is the a sort of an alternative name for jacob so in that sense toby the shepherd because toby is an abbreviation for tobias would have been a much more fitting title headcanon
2: yes i adore that amount of research that you've quickly thrown in there
0: Yes, thank you. Because I remember reading somewhere that Toby was called Jacob or Jacob in like another translation of the show. And I thought, well, that doesn't make sense at all. And then I researched and it's like, ah, I see now. That's really cool.
1: Thank you for solidifying no. my, my thoughts
0: there. <laughs> yes, you're very welcome. Right. Um, but uh, oh, one thing we haven't mentioned actually is the music. Mm, uh, very
2: Series 5-esque. They even use some Series 5, like, Danger Storm music. Yes, Mm.
0: indeed they do.
1: Yeah, it's it's really nice. There we are.
0: Mention the music.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Even the variations of Toby's theme thrown in was really nice.
2: Yes, yes. And, and in fact, variations of music we're going to be covering a few times this episode as well.
1: Mm. Very much
2: so.
0: But ratings... What are we thinking okay. right um no I'll, I'll let you two lead on this one because um okay. i think my score might start right. oh
1: okay okay
0: so
2: as far as me wanting to like nitpick and tear it apart and go okay uh, take away points whatever it's only really got that that one or two little remarks are made so I'm tempted to go very high, but at the same time, it just doesn't sit with me all that well. Mm. So I'm gonna give it a. I'm gonna give it a seven, a, a, a Toby for a Toby centric episode. Denim. Mm.
1: Yeah, look, it's an episode of a show. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um. Okay. It looks nice. Yes.
2: It sounds nice.
1: Four.
0: Okay. Uh, a seven and a four. Hmm. Well, having discussed all that we've discussed in this discussion, um, I'm actually a bit more sympathetic. I was originally going to go with denim score of a four, but uh, I think like the visuals are nice. The music is excellent um and i I do like the narration i do enjoy the pairing of duck and toby as well which is something we rarely ever get to see Mm. so i'm gonna go for a five out of ten yeah there we go Mm. you know
2: i'm sort of just comfortable with that
0: okay like like, you're
2: not gonna change your score
1: again (laughs) <laughs>
2: oh no, L- last time I did that I reduced the score of the Fogman So, you know don't... <laughs> You made Aaron a very angry boy I'm still getting letters I'm still getting letters, man
1: I think he's learned his
0: lesson, Parry <laughs> I think he has, denim. yes
2: <laughs> But um, I-, I just like It is a good episode it- it- It's Got beautiful visuals, beautiful music But the story doesn't sit well Mm. it hasn't got the hook it hasn't got the Mm. shepherd's crook to grab me by the neck and drag me onto the stage to watch it Mm. It, it, that's what i feel
1: this episode is missing yeah i very much agree on to a more fun episode parry Mm. would you like to introduce the next episode
0: Certainly I would, Devon. This is Thomas, Percy and the Squeak. This is my favourite of the three we're covering today. And in the clip you're about to hear, the engines are discussing uh, a
3: special event and who might be taking part in it. One morning, the engines were very excited. Alicia Botti, the famous singer, was coming to the island of Sodor. She's a coloratura, said Gordon importantly. What's a coloratura? asked Thomas. It means she can sing high notes very, very loud. The fat controller will choose me to collect her, boasted James. I'm the brightest and the shiniest. Nonsense. I'm the most important, huffed Gordon. Thomas wanted to feel important, too. He might choose me, he said hopefully. Well, one thing's for sure, said Gordon, he won't choose dirty Percy. Don't call me dirty Percy, he chuffed crossly and he wished away.
0: Oh, that I love that. Just that line of dialogue alone and that delivery he, from Manchester. And he ran away? Yeah. yeah. No, 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 like Percy saying that infamous line. What 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 infamous line? Please, Parry. Don't call me Dirty Percy. I'm
1: going to grab yes. that as a soundbite and immortalise it.
2: <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. Like you nailed it from the end of each series. Okay, okay. <laughs> but yes, uh, Thomas Percy in The Squeak is joining a-, a legion of episodes such as Thomas Percy and the Dragon, Thomas Percy and the Coal, bunch of Thomas and Percy's here. But in this one, instead of dealing with... With fuel or a mythological fire-breathing reptile, they are dealing with a mouse. A mouse. A mouse. A mouse. A mouse, you say, Connor? A mouse. More specifically, the squeak of a mouse. Mm Mm-hmm. So, as you heard in the clip there, Alicia Botti, a coloratura soprano opera singer, is going to the island of Sodor because the Fat Controller organises for a bunch of performances to often be organised. And Alicia Botti uh, is a very special guest. And, of course, Gordon says he wants to pick it up. Thomas says he wants to pick it up. Jane says he wants to pick it up. First says he wants to pick it up. Eventually, Thomas is chosen. Mm -hmm. It's a nice wash down, so he's squeaky clean. Uh,
3: uh, Yeah, yeah. Can Uh, I say, though, that,
1: like... Can I say, though, that, like, the the reveal of Thomas pulling the train is, like, so well executed. Like, you have Gordon pull away, then you have James, and then you have Thomas sitting there. Um, I don't know. Yes. The, the pacing of it is so lovely.
2: It works hmm. so... Because it goes, Gordon wasn't chosen, and you see Gordon go right away, and then reveal James. Like, oh, it's James. James wasn't chosen. Who could it be? Who could it be? Who could it... I bet it's not one of the main characters mentioned in the title? It's oh, Thomas. Of course, it's. It, it is a wonderful bit of visual storytelling. Even without the dialogue there, on the narration, you would be able to tell that Thomas was chosen
0: and the others weren't hmm mm. it's brilliant. It, it, it's called Show Don't Tell, Visual Media.
2: Yes, which is mm. extremely difficult to do on a podcast, so we're just telling it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> we're creating now, pictures uh, with our words. Oh, wait,
2: a pink elephant, ooh. <whistles> Anyways. Mm. Wow. Now, of course we need to mention the elephant in the room, which is the hey. sweep of this episode. <laughs> so after Thomas, Annie and Clara have been cleaned, they hear a weird little squeak noise. They quickly oil up the wheels, and Thomas is anxious because the squeak doesn't go away. They arrive at Brendam Docks, Alicia Botti, you know, goes up, enters the carriage, and there's a mouse there. And she screams. So much so we screams.
1: We we can hear we can see her um her uvula. Like, ringing. Yes, Yes. yuvula. Yuvula. Yeah. Don't want
2: to mispronounce that. The uh, (laughs) yuvula shaking at the back of her throat there. And such, it is, you know, shattering and breaking windows, which can be achieved if you sing at the right volume or right frequency. And then after the yelling has occurred, out of nowhere, there's a shot of Gordon looking at a poster of Alicia Botti going... Definitely a coloratura. Mm. <laughs> Just sort of <laughs> smug and proud of himself. <laughs> and I, I, I love this episode shines in best with its dialogue and its little gags, yeah. such as the, mm. don't call me dirty Percy.
0: Well, <laughs> definitely a coloratura. And I particularly love the bit of dialogue after that, of course, and it's when Percy shows up. And at least your yes. body says, oh, look, it's a beautiful dirty green engine. <laughs> and Gordon goes, peasant. And then Percy says, yes, I am pleasant. It's the best him. line of dialogue in
1: the whole thing.
2: It's it the is. best line. And do you know what? Mm-hmm. The United States dub didn't get it.
1: Oh. No. That's sacrilege. So
2: in the UK dub, as soon as Percy arrives, he said, Parix, um, there's just a single word from Gordon, which fits in so well. Mm. Favorite line and said, peasant. Mm. And and then Percy happily going, yes, I am peasant. In the US, Gordon goes, but he's filthy. And Percy goes, but I clean up nice.
0: <laughs> nah, that's not as good, yeah. It's
2: not as, it's forced, doesn't it doesn't as well. work. Mm. And like, I mean, like, typically peasants were around during the middle ages and and america didn't have much of a medieval era they didn't have the castles they didn't have the peasants as they would be Mm. Uh, so i don't understand why it was removed from the u.s stuff maybe it's just difference in writing maybe it's something completely different but I urge you, all American listeners who've got no idea what you're on about, deal with Michelangelo, listen to the UK dub of this episode, and laugh Mm. at the beautiful execution of the way he says things and especially the extra dialogue.
4: Laugh at the funny man.
2: Magnifique! On the note of the magnifique, though, an accent... Mm. The voice for Alicia Botti.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when she argues with uh, the porters. Exactly. <laughs> so,
2: what do you mean? It's something else I can't possibly go into the train. It's horrible. <laughs> I
0: cannot possibly go into a train with the device. <laughs> I love it. This
2: episode, like, like it gave me the good belly laugh that hurts. Yeah. yeah. That, that That's kind of laughing, isn't it? But, end of the episode. Mm. Of course. Alicia Botti is doing her performance at the castle. Everyone's like, oh, wonderful. But instead, Thomas and Percy are at the sheds where the little mouse now lives. A little pet who will never see again, but mm. is called Alicia. Indeed. da 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 Bom. Da.
0: Hmm. Now, there are... <laughs> there are... <laughs> there, there are a couple of notes I'd like to make about this story. Uh, first of all, it was particularly strange for me growing up because I've actually got... I've talked about her on the podcast before, of course. I've got a younger sister, and her name is actually Alicia. So oh. for once we had a Thomas and Alicia in an episode of Thomas the Tank Engine and Friends, and that delighted me to no end. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, it works. The, yeah, that, is your sister anecdote, a singer? Um, she actually plays tuba
3: so blah, blah, blah.
2: more low bassy notes instead of high long sustained notes
0: yeah, we get along yeah, yes. famously She's, um, more a bassist and less of a coloratura but yeah
2: a a, 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 a tuberature
0: yes yeah. a coloratura. <laughs> let, let, let's go with that um yes uh, sorry i i know that anecdote went nowhere but i wanted to share it because <laughs> oh, i'm very oh, proud oh, of it simple, simple. Uh, uh, but, <laughs> the other thing i wanted to share is this the story is credited to jenny mcdade who of course wrote toby had a little lamb but Mm. it actually takes its inspiration from a christopher audrey children's board book called squeak squeak is that you thomas and the reason why i know this is because i have a copy of this very book (laughs) amazing so so i i i like normally i'm the
2: trivia guy but like, like what, what goes on in squeak, squeak, is that you, Thomas?
0: Well, it, it's more or less the same story, is that, um, yeah, Thomas and his and fireman hear a squeak, and you, it's actually, there's a rubber Thomas who's built into the book, for, for want of better phrasing, and essentially, when you see the prompts in the book, you squeeze Thomas and... Can you do oh, that again wow. for me? <laughs> yes, absolutely. So, the noise it makes is...
1: Thank you. Thank you for delighting me with that.
0: You're, you're yeah. very welcome. So, yeah, essentially you go through the book and they wonder what the noise is and they eventually work out that it is a family of mice who have taken refuge in Thomas.
2: Yes. Hmm. Yes. And I will know, as I just looked it up, that book came out in 1996.
0: Six. So I would have been two when my parents purchased this book for me. But,
2: like, like I mean, so, so as... So, Christopher Audrey book, Squeak, Squeak, Thomas.
0: The mm. story is by David
2: Mitten and then written by Jenny McDade.
0: Mm. This isn't the first time we've seen this level of plagiarism, though, because, Connor, if you remember our discussion with Mel a couple of episodes back, uh, James and the Red Balloon yes. inadvertently takes inspiration from another Audrey story called James and the Balloons.
1: Oh, I'm and... one.
2: That takes inspiration from an Andrew
0: Brenner magazine story from the yes. year
2: prior called uh, the Balloon Festival or the Balloon Race, I believe it is, mm-hmm. yes. which has the exact same series of events. So I I feel there's a weird time now in all these Thomas stories where we are getting Audrey stories, inverted commas, <laughs> uh, in, in the fact that they're not from the Railway series but they are based off of previous, often Audrey-written works. Mm. Mm. Um. But th- there is a, a little uh, detail here, because I-, I mentioned a little while back that I was a nerd and I've mm. been playing around with the sound archives and mm-hmm. finding things. And the mouse squeak, it-, it says this on the wiki as well, but I went and... Confirmed it for myself. The Mm. mouse squeak is not a mouse squeak. It is, in fact, a squeaky door. Hmm. What? Particularly, this squeaky door was used in the Simpsons episode. Please, Homer, don't hammer him. cast. (laughs) So. Wow. The squeak is not a mouse. It is a squeaky door that is pretending to be the squeaky wheel oh I, okay i, I, I like say,
1: that actually
2: I, I will say like i like the detail that they used a non-mouse squeak to pretend to be something else so the mm. way it stays so it sounds like oh that actually does sound like a squeaky wheel you may think it is a squeaky wheel and you're genuinely surprised that it is a mouse if mm. you haven't seen the episode um however. I don't know. I feel that it sounds a little bit too not like a mouse.
4: Mm. Mm.
2: It's not believable enough to be a mouse. In fact, it is the same sound that they use throughout the entire episode. And when you hear it again and again and again, it gets super repetitive again and again and again. It gets super repetitive and it just drives you mad i want you to know that i did say that twice i there was no cutting there
1: i was, yeah. wasn't going mad <laughs>
2: <laughs> but like i like that they use it but i feel it could have been used better a little bit of better sound mixing there
0: Hmm. yes um I i don't know whether there is much more to add to this i mean this is just I'm speaking personally here. I'm of course not speaking to my co-host, but I believe this is the best story of series six. It, oh. It's up there. Like I, I think th- this is like a level of quality we would have seen in maybe series five, series four, series three. I mean, that's how good I believe this story is.
1: Yeah, I'd put it up there as well. I, I'd say yeah. it's definitely one of.
2: I, mm. I, I, I'm, I'm agreeing with you hesitantly. Because there, there are some parts of the dialogue that don't fit just right. Well, I, I
0: do agree with you there. I mean, the resolution where Thomas is apologising to Percy for calling him that name, which it, I it, won't repeat because my exactly. vocal cords are really beginning to strain now. But, but
2: Parry, you can just say the name.
0: You Dirty don't need to... Percy.
2: Yeah, see, there you are. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, the, the, the episode ending, the resolution, as you say, isn't the best There is one thing I noticed, though, and as soon as I saw it, I I, I had to pause and then take a drink of water, then continue. I mentioned last episode about the figurines Mm -hmm. and how, you know, in the lovely winter, they've got, like, nice little rosy red cheeks. So Mm -hmm. Topham has still got the rosy red cheeks. Mm -hmm. and and especially red
0: and rosy when Alicia Botti scolds him for having mice in it one of her carriages he's embarrassed yes he he is embarrassed but even before that occurs
2: when we first see them at the docks together he's got the red rosy cheeks and it it's so jarring to me because Mm. in a winter setting it makes
1: sense here it, it struggles to very Hold happy. On one moment, Connor. He's, he's very happy to see Alicia Botti.
0: He, uh, <laughs> th- th- let's pretend that Denon didn't say that. Uh, <laughs> Cut. <laughs> Either that um, or he has a no, skin no, the infection. Point, the, the, well, uh, the point I wanted to make was, Connor, that this story takes place in summer, does it not? Because yes. it's a series of outdoor summer concerts. And yes. the Fat Controller is wearing his top hat and his overcoat, so maybe he's just really hot or really sunburnt.
2: Yeah, hey, I'm happy to go with that. But then if it gets to the fact that he is there in overcoat and vest and shirt and trousers and top hat, should he really be encouraging mm. his drivers and workmen who work next to a burning fireplace most of the day to be wearing full suits as well?
1: I just like, I mean- think, I just think that Alicia Body was Sir Tobin Pat's first uh, celebrity crush. Love. Yeah. Oh,
2: that <laughs> works. <laughs> that works. Okay. Okay, we'll go with
1: that. Yeah, posters of uh, her up on his wall as a teenager. Yep.
4: Uh, a
2: l- little bit of a slightly uh, a nice parallel, I would say. Uh, of course, when we see. Now, the shot of Alicia Botti singing at the castle uh, It is taken from Scaredy Engines, uh, mm-hmm. except all the fireworks have been edited out and mm-hmm. it's been slightly cropped and moved.
5: Mm-hmm. And then
2: also in Scaredy Engines, it ends with both Thomas and Percy alone at the sheds talking to each
0: other that it does but on this occasion they're facing the other way inwards yes and that is actually a very good thing because
2: that that, that's one thing the realistic side of me dislikes on how every time you see the engines at the shed they're always facing outwards Mm. and seeing them face inwards just makes it all the sweeter for me because it really gets the idea of sort of two friends that are hushed there, you know, in the corner, just back away from it. everyone else arms um, over each other's shoulders, pointing at the mouse going, look, we get to keep them. <laughs> <But, laughs> Parry. Yes. You've said that you this is like the best series six episode. Mm-hmm.
0: I would now like to know your ranking. Okay. Um, I, I'm going to temper myself slightly here um i will give it a 9 out of 10 and the reason why is because it is a great series 6 story but in the overall lore of thomas the tank engine and friends you know we have seen better stories and better episodes ones that i enjoy more ones that i keep referring back to but having said that this has great narration uh great the great vocal work, of course, as always from Angelus. Uh, the story is brilliant; it's very well paced. So, yeah, I I think that had we seen this story in another season, I potentially would have given it a ten out of ten. But because it's in series six and it's got all those little series six niggles, like yeah, it under that instead. Could you possibly say that again? Because
2: you were lagging and cutting out a mm-hmm. lot. I don't know whether it was just me okay. or also for you, Denim.
0: Yeah, it was. Right. So yeah. It's telling me right now my internet connection is unstable. Well, like, I mean, so am I, but I don't brag about it. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, so, so, Denim, did you pick it up on the audio at all? or Yeah, you would have to say it again. I'd have to say it again. Okay. So, start from the beginning. I will temper my ex- I will temper myself here slightly, Connor, because I do love this story very much. But I do feel that had it been in another series of Thomas and Friends, like say three or four or five, it would have looked a lot nicer, and I would have enjoyed it a much more. It wouldn't have had those little series six niggles. So, uh, yeah, I will give it a nine out of ten. Uh, Because, you know, it's got great dialogue, great narration. It's very funny, very well paced. But yes, I do feel that it could have been improved just slightly. But having said that, it's still the best Series 6 story. Okay. Okay.
2: Denim.
1: I'm surprised by that because I was going to give it a 10. Oh, where oh, are you now? Yeah, like I, I think there's so much to love about this episode. And when Thomas is written well, you can tell. You can tell that the energy in Angelus's voice is there. And I think you can hear it yes. more than anything here. The sets look lovely. It's cool seeing the engines a little bit weathered and dirty down. Um, and may I say, the mouse prop looks very polite. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> and, hello and, there, and and I think that overall the best thing about this episode is the comedic pacing, and I think mm. in this particular era, um, that is definitely um a fruit to be able to enjoy. So ten out of ten for me.
2: Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um. So so. I do really like this episode. I agree with you guys. It's I'm I'm like resisting the urge just to go out and give it a 10 because Mm -hmm. I know it's got stuff it can improve upon. The Mm -hmm. parts in series six that aren't really the best all the time, especially with sort of a forced moral at the Mm -hmm. end. Mm -hmm. But Angelus is on fire here. You've got some of the best writing in all of Series 6 mm-hmm. and all of Thomas in this episode, mm-hmm. I would say. And then again, just the general prop and model work mm. with everything. From the, the little mouse, which looks like it would be in a beloved children's novel, mm-hmm. you know, that goes <laughs> yes. off to see uh, Ms. Raccoon down the way. The commi- Exactly. The comedic timing from just the gradual zoom in on Licia Botti, just to see her uvula wobbling as she screams, the breaking glass, the definitely a coloratura. It Mm. is so well done. So I'm gonna agree with you, Parry. It's a nine. Okay. And yeah, I I sorry. But that takes us to the time in the episode now where we move to our musical interlude.
0: And, Parry, what are we doing this week? Well, this is something I've been wanting to play on the podcast for quite a while now. It is by Unhelpful Git. That's his name on SoundCloud. And this is his Thomasified cover of Hip To Be Square by Huey Lewis and the News. I thought, given that we talked about a Toby story, I thought it was quite fitting to add this. (laughs) Hmm. <laughs>
2: and toby well let's just say it's hip to be square that was the Thomasified style of hip to be square originally by huey lewis in the news covered by unhelpful git also known as diesel d261 we are now moving on to our final episode for today which i like to call thomas and the marketing team however <laughs> it is called thomas and the jet engine where thomas wants to maybe go as fast as gordon and when getting our special from the docks that wish might just come
3: true mm. Thomas arrived at the docks, excited to see the jet engine. It was shiny and modern, and Thomas had never seen anything like it. He just couldn't wait to start his journey, but Cranky was taking his time. Hurry up, huffed Thomas. This is a special special. Cranky did not like being told what to do, especially by an engine. He became so cranky that he was careless with his hook. His hook knocked the switch, and the switch started the jet engine. And the engine began to whine. The whine got louder and louder and louder. oh said Cranky. Before he could say anything else, the jet engine was rocketing Thomas up the track.
1: Thomas, may I say oh. th- this is like I, I thought we got off a great episode before, but I think <laughs> I, I i may be wearing nostalgic rose tinted glasses, but this is one of the best series six
0: episodes. Period, it is mm. like this. Is, this comes ever so close to Thomas Percy and the squeak. I mean. The, the, the one real main issue... Well, okay, there's a few issues I have, which we'll get into, but one of the big ones is, of course, that it's more or less a copy of Busy Going Backwards, the Series 5 story that we all love so much.
1: I wouldn't say that. It, no, well, you wouldn't? I wouldn't say no. in
2: terms of story. I would say in terms of just what it is. Mm. It, 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 is it isn't a clip show. Uh, episode but it's very close where there mm. is very little in way of plot mm-hmm. and it's just there for something flashy and cool to look at
0: it's a glorified mm. right action that action yeah. is just it, it's fabulous like oh, i mean it yeah. really is why the, the story is being created more or less yeah
2: yeah, yeah. and and uh, as i said thomas and the marketing team mm. this episode <laughs> i feel was very strongly influenced to get some kind of marketing out there because the jet engine has been referred to again and again and again Mm -hmm. afterwards with more and more merch coming out. And it's a big seller because Thomas going
0: super fast, that's, that's bound to sell. Absolutely. It is. Uh, So let's cover the narrative if we can. It begins with Gordon boasting about the fact that he's the fastest engine on the Island and uh, the other engines are like, all right, you're too big for your buffers. You know, I'm paraphrasing, of course. And then the Fat Controller interrupts and asks Thomas to collect a jet engine and take it to dry ore Airfield. And that's, this brings up the first point I want to discuss with the two of you. Why is the jet engine being sent to dry ore Airfield? I mean, it's just a grass landing strip. I mean, why would they have the means and the facilities to not only... Fix a jet engine or maintain it, but w- what would they be applying it to? Well, yeah. I'm,
1: I'm glad. I'm glad that you asked this, Parry, because this predates the days of the Sodor Airport, um, and they they do have a hangar there, which suggests that there may be some kind of airplane or jet that would require this engine. Mm-hmm. Uh-
2: Are you saying that a certain character may already exist?
1: No, no, I was just saying it could be. No, no. (laughs) Don't get too excited. I I, I thought you were saying
2: (laughs) that Jeremy the Jet... Not Jeremy the Jet... Eh, Jeremy the jet plane may have already existed. Um, Mm. But, 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 yeah, it is going to dry all airfield. And, hey, maybe there is an engine there that requires a jet. Maybe there was a jet plane flying about that... Its jet became broken due to a bird strike or something and needed to make an emergency landing at Dryor Airfield.
0: But it, it, if, it, if it was a jet-powered aircraft, Connor, as you're suggesting, you wouldn't necessarily want to land at, at Dryor because, as I said, it's just a grass landing strip. There's no tarmac. There's no concrete or asphalt or anything. So it would be a pretty rough landing for a jet like that. Yeah, and but... a very small one as well. It's only short, that runway.
2: Yeah, but, like, I mean, the, the, the models are only, what, like, 10, 20 centimetres long at most? Like, I mean, it's it's not going to have much difficulty landing at that size. I, I do get the impression
1: <laughs> that there is some kind of tarmac that, like, we can't see from the railway because...
2: On the other side of the station.
1: Because we have seen, like, aeroplanes there before and, like, there's, like, mm. watchtowers, like, quite far off in the distance too.
4: Yeah, yeah.
2: Fair enough, so, yes. So, so uh, there there may be more to drywall Airfield than it's letting on to us, but yes. Uh, okay. Thomas is taking a jet engine, which, which mm-hmm. first of all, um, um, I'm I'm going to get big, big issue out of the room right now. Mm. That this episode is one of the most unrealistic out there.
0: It, it is like no one's denying that it's incredibly yeah.
2: cartoonish. It, it's so cartoonish. First of all. Why on earth would a jet engine would only have one switch to turn it on? Why does it have fuel in it? That's another one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why is it uncovered? Those things are super fragile. They're protected. Heck, one of the worst things you can hear in a jet engine is a beautiful xylophone sound of ting, 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 ting. (laughs) And the reason why you panic, because that means something's fallen into the jet engine and you need to take the whole thing apart now. To get it out, that you do, but it—it's it, an incredibly cartoonish episode. But mm. I don't care. It, it <laughs> is. So I, I like this new Connor. Good. No, no, like, 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 I mean, the, this episode, despite it being unrealistic,
0: it's fun. Mm. It is. It's no, enjoyable. No, no. It, you cannot deny that. It's just. It has one purpose, and that's to entertain. Just, you know, physics, logic be damned, just give us what we want to see. We want to see a tank engine being propelled along at high speed by a jet-powered turbine. Mm, With our returning favourite runaway theme, William Tell Overture. Yes, of course, which, as I mentioned, was also utilised in Busy Going Backwards, hence the comparisons. What's quite yes. nice
1: is this is quite a extended version as well that includes Gordon's theme in there too.
0: It does. Yes. So, so, yeah, we need to cover that actually because that little discussion they had at the beginning of the story works its way into the main conflict, if we can call it that, because Thomas flies around the island. He completely bypasses Dry Dryor Airfield uh, and... and Goes past all these other landmarks as well, and i'll I'll get back to that as well. the dry or airfield bit, but um yeah, essentially what happens is Thomas flies past Gordon at high speed, Gordon, who's no doubt doing like ninety a hundred miles per hour at that point, and Gordon is absolutely flabbergasted, but it gets to the point where the jet engine runs runs out of fuel, Thomas meets with Gordon at the station, and then all the engines have a laugh at his expense, yeah. But mm. Percy feels a little
2: bit sorry for Gordon. Mm, that he does. Which is sweet, considering all the terror that Gordon puts Percy through. Percy's yes. still
0: warm at heart. Yeah, he is. He's, he's, a, he's very humble. He's very... A wholesome character, yeah. we should say. Yes.
1: Always was, always has been.
2: Now, the thing that I feel that this episode really excels in, though, mm. is... The little sight and side gags that appear throughout the entire thing. Because, of course, you can't just have an episode with music and then shots and a pew as Thomas Mm. flies by. You need something in there to break it up. And this episode has done so well with that. And I feel Mm. nothing shows that better than with the first line from Thomas after he gets the jet engine and goes, oh, boy!
4: <laughs>
1: yeah,
2: and it's stretched out as he flies by. It
1: is, and you see the heads turn at the station platform as well.
0: Oh, is... oh yeah, then... that...
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. As he as he flies through the platform, you see all the the passengers' heads like swing past as Thomas flies by.
2: <laughs> and then when he passes James at Maron Station, you get James shocked face, eyes going red, and Gravel's just being thrown at him. Yes. <laughs> you have Bertie the bus waiting at a level crossing and he sees Thomas approaching and he goes, What a race, Thomas. Nyow. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> it is amazing. The- this episode works so well with all these things. Um it does. And yeah, we have uh, ha-
1: ha- And and we have to mention the Hi Gordon. Bye Gordon.
2: <laughs> yes, yeah, of course. As he flies by Gordon. Uh now, of, of, of course, as many things, uh, this may have its basis in reality, as strange <laughs> as it may sound.
0: Is that so? Do I'm On
2: hearing this one. So, a uh, story by David Newton, written by Ross Hastings. Mm-hmm. Um, the United States Air Force, uh, during sort of the 1940s to the 1960s, mm. uh, often when organising g-force tests when they were determining how fast could this thing travel before it just starts breaking apart mm. they would attach a jet engine to a sled and put it on rails <laughs> and, and and this is where the first and I, I believe the present land speed records were broken and made by mm. these rocket powered sled rails it, it it's Amazing. It sounds but, terrifying. Oh, absolutely terrifying. And it gets better, though, because in the 60s and 70s, a turbo d- train was invented. Oh, no. A turbo jet train made. Some were made by the US. Some were made by the USSR. And they are literally engines with like a sort of sleek, modern appearance with, like, Two or three jet engines just strapped to their roof or to the side. <laughs> and, like, I mean, I. I it, it, uh, if you told me before I researched this that, oh, yeah, jet engines, you know, the things that they sometimes use to shoot rockets mm. <laughs> were used on railways. Oh, yeah, those things. Yeah, I would call you out. Because it seems too weird to be true, but sometimes fact is stranger than fiction. Mm. And I feel this is one of those times here. Mm. A <laughs> uh, few interesting little bits of trivia, though, about this episode.
4: Mm.
2: Uh, first episode to refer to Knapford Station by name. Is it now? Yes. It goes when Thomas slowly arrived at Knapford after his run out of fuel. It's, it's the first time. Every time it's just been the station, the big station, station, the end station by the sea. Exactly. It's never been called Napford, So we oh. get that. And on the note of stations, especially Series 1 stations, mm. it is also the last appearance of Lower Tidmouth. Aha. Oh. Which, although Lower Tidmouth isn't necessarily the biggest or best station...
1: It's still a great station. It's a station Mm. that
2: was, I believe, was there way back in the pilot episode for this, which was mm, Thomas Mm. uh, Down the Mine. Mm. It's sad to see it go, but at the same time, it didn't have too much to contribute apart from being a set. Mm. But still, it's sad to see lower Tidmouth go.
1: You sound like a higher Tidmouth there. (laughs) Anyways (laughs)
2: <laughs> Anyways <laughs> um, I do have One final thing
5: A few yes.
2: Episodes ago, Parry Yes You said <clears throat> You know, you can tell none of us Studied physics at school And I went, oh, I did, I did he went, Well, you haven't remembered it <laughs> I'm... It- wishing to prove you wrong here i be mm-hmm. with very simple math yes because in the series 18 episode emily saves the world mm-hmm. uh where emily's sad that she hasn't carried a special before thomas mentions how he carried a jet engine once that took him at supersonic speeds around the island mm-hmm. now supersonic speeds Mach one
4: mm-hmm. is
2: at least 768 miles per hour or 1235.98 kilometers an hour.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But mm. if that were the case, we wouldn't be able to actually hear the
0: jet engine if it's supersonic. Yes, I know I know why you're I know where you're coming from, Connor, because if it was traveling faster than the speed of sound, we wouldn't be able to hear it coming. Exactly, exactly. Yes. But I then
2: went what would be the speed that he was travelling at? Mm. Now, of course, his speed changes throughout the episode. Mm. He he, he may be travelling super fast, footage is sped up, footage is slowed down. Mm. But uh, using what I feel is to be a fairly good middle ground and also the easiest to calculate, Mm. Thomas is passing Bertie at the level crossing. There's a beautiful panning shot that Mm. focuses on Thomas the whole time from as he's approaching the level crossing to when he's on the level crossing, to when he's past the level crossing. Mm-hmm. So, from that, I counted how many frames it took Thomas to go from completely off the crossing to completely on the cro- crossing. Mm-hmm. Found how many frames that was. Mm-hmm. Went, okay, how many frames does the episode run at? Which would be 24. uh uh, yes however uh the footage uh i was watching actually ran at 30. okay Mm -hmm. i i I went and i counted each frame until it ticked over to a second Hmm. which means that he traveled uh the the distance was one sixth of Mm -hmm. a second and now of course thomas is smaller than an e2 in length yes like he's squished he's a toy
4: Mm -hmm.
2: however i haven't been able to find any good calculations for that so i'm just going to settle with an e2 tank engine here okay yes uh which is 10.13 meters long from -hmm. buffer to buffer meaning that if this was using real proportions thomas traveled 10.13 meters in one sixth of a second or 60.78 meters per second or 218.8 kilometres per hour or 125.96 miles per hour, which I feel is a very suitable speed to be able to overtake Gordon at not a super fast speed, but at a fast enough speed.
0: Yeah, so he's not travelling at the supersonic speed that he claims to be, but it's fast enough. It's fast enough to work with the episode and
2: also Mm. saying something's gone supersonic is just Mm. hyperbole.
0: Yes, and also, if if he were travelling at supersonic speed, if the jet engine were producing that amount of force, whenever he'd go through the stations, like all the buildings would come apart, all the passengers would just be thrown off the platform. Flying back with it. And hey,
2: if he went round a single turn, Mm. he would immediately
0: just fly
2: off the rails.
0: He would, he'd topple Mm. over. And, and, And as well as that, you were mentioning before with the land speed records, you know... Because of friction, right? You've done physics, you know about friction. You know, the wheels, if they were travelling at that speed for an extended period of time, at a supersonic speed, yes, they'd eventually, like, melt into the rails, wouldn't they? Because they're producing so much heat. That They would melt, they would shatter, they would explode. So much so that
2: the engine, because jet engines actually work due to, like, rotating parts inside them, Mm. also due to friction would most likely also have exploded, taking the jet engine Thomas and his crew out with him. So luckily he's not travelling at supersonic speeds. Yes. He's travelling, you know, roughly at the uh, railway steam record, Mm. uh, which uh, the steam engine uh, speed record held by Mallard. Of course, uh, yes. Yes, uh was 126 miles per hour. Mm-hmm. So and Thomas was traveling by my calculations 125.96 miles per hour. Mm. So basically the same speed. Yeah, whoa, okay. Which there you go. I love because it's pure coincidence unless I just happen to pick the one bit where
0: they focused on it.
2: Mm. Thomas was traveling at the fastest speed a steam engine has ever traveled
0: there we are so well done thomas the tank engine um yes (laughs) uh, one more thing i'd like to raise and i said i would come back to this so thomas Mm. is supposed to drop it off at dry or airfield which is on his branch line right if we're keeping within the logic of the railway series and the tv series and the universe and all that yes so but of course he flies past that and then he flies past, what, Marin Station and down Gordon's Hill. There's a watermill in there, There's a watermill in there somewhere. So, uh, again, like, the continuity on this series is just falling apart, and and in particular on this story, because if he really did take, if we are following the logic of the books and he did take his jet engine to dry or airfield, he would be flying up and he would come to a crash at an over quarry. Would he yeah. not?
4: Yeah.
2: Yeah, well, un- unless he went down, found a little, like, loop-de-loop and he went back the other way and then he went back towards the other station and then turned back around and so on. On the note of continuity, though, mm. a lot of people say, how on earth did Gordon get to napford before Thomas?
0: Well, no, I can explain that one too because... Thomas would have had, actually had to slow down after the jet engine died down, and his top exactly. speed is seventy miles yeah, per and, hour. and so. we just didn't see Gordon
2: overtaking him. But well, we,
0: we, we don't need that. Exactly. We don't need exactly. We don't need to. Yes, exactly. Figures. Okay. Um. So, so now that we've picked apart all the holes in in um <laughs> in this story, um, Denim, have you got anything more to add?
1: Ah, uh, look, the holes don't bother me that much. Like. We've seen mainline engines go through dry or before, like as far back as James and the coaches. Like
0: Oh that's true, yes. Yeah, I,
1: yep. I, I just assume it's a part of potentially the loop line. Um, oh the loop. <laughs> on, on on the main line. Yep. Yep. Makes sense.
0: It does. Okay uh, hey, then. So uh, that brings us now to the scores quite neatly and I'll lead off this time. I'm going to give Thomas and the Jet Engine an 8 out of 10. Like I've said, there's plot holes. It doesn't have a lot of regard for continuity. It is very cartoonish, but it's just a blast. Yeah. Yeah,
2: Yeah, it it flames on. (laughs) Uh, and, And yeah, as you said, it, it's cartoonish like it this episode i feel really challenges everything we've ranked so far because <laughs> <It does. laughs> every other time before this was like okay it realistic it this this one it's just flawed. let's just have fun with it yeah and i'm glad it did it's worked so well it's even semi-realistic uh if you follow my calculations um I'm going to need to rate it a nine. Oh, okay. It's just fun. It's enjoyable. It's got great little bits filled without it. Right. So I've. um, Sorry, you go ahead. So I, I, I'd like to reset that because I stumbled my words there. It's got lots of great bits just filled throughout it.
1: Mm. Denim. Mm. I'm gonna have to one up you there and like I may seem like a greedy guts Garvey this episode because I gave Thomas Percy in the squeak a 10 out of 10. but to compromise I gave uh Toby had a little lamb of four um, yeah yeah but but I, I I think that validates the fact I can give Thomas and the jet engine a 10 as well. Mm. So,
0: so with your score of 1, 4, and two tens, that puts your average score for these three stories at an 8 out of 10.
1: Yeah.
4: Mm.
0: Yeah.
2: And my score of a 7 and two nines mm. puts me smack bang at 8 as well.
0: Yeah. So, and what was well, I? I was a 5, a 9, and a 9. So, no, that's 19. So, that's about 6.33, I think oh. you'll find always
2: the critic you accredited movie critic
4: <laughs> mm.
0: all right so we've covered all the stories that we we're going to review today and now it's time for denon and his interview with none other than nick jones
1: Yes, in this interview I chatted to Nick about the creation of um, his documentary for the BBC series Bookmark back in 1995 and how he's bringing it back for Blu-ray. First of all, Nicholas, thank you for joining us. It's um, fantastic to be talking to you. My pleasure. Yeah, I've watched the documentary in full and it's um, a beautiful story um, in many forms. You tap into... of course, Wilbur Audrey's um personal story as a writer and as a parson, um, and you mm. tap into other areas such as the the popularity around the Railway series as well as that stemming into the television series. Um, was it a project that you were initially approached to produce yourself? Or was it one that you kind of oh, opted no. in to do? <laughs>
5: I, I put it up to all the channels, both BBC and Channel 4 wanted to do it, in fact. It's most unusual when that happens, but um, nobody in British TV would have <laughs> had the wit to discover that idea back then. Mm-hmm. It's certainly true that the TV series for children was well underway by then. It was really at the, arguably, the height of its popularity in Britain, but the, that wouldn't have really registered much with people working in documentaries, I'm afraid. That's the way they are, or were.
1: Mm, mm. And and one of the interesting things is that you're able to approach this documentary um, as a bit of a fan of the original book series itself. Did that really, I guess, kind of drive your your inspiration and your touch to uh, telling this story?
5: In some ways, yes. I mean, what happened was my mother had discovered that. What well, start again? In fact, as I said in one of my tweets recently, she was on a train at Swindon in Wiltshire, and a guard outside blew the whistle. And uh, this was 1993. A little boy said to his mum, look, there's the fat controller. And everybody laughed. And my mother came back and told me the story and said, is will still alive? We looked him up and found not only was he alive and kicking, but he was living about uh, 15 miles away from us. So we went to meet him. My mother wrote an article for a magazine called The Oldie in the Still With Us column. But she then spotted, this was late 93, that in 95, it would be the 50th anniversary, really, when the Railway Series books came out. And that easily morphed into a 50 years of Thomas. I started putting the idea up in 94 on that basis, but um, saying, one, we've got a a great hook to tell this largely untold story. But really, yes, my, my enthusiasm for the books had never really gone away, although it was many, many years since I'd read them. But when I was a child... I recall having four little engines and also just the um, uh, three railway engines, the first book. And I think it's number 10 or number 12, is it? The four yeah, little thereabouts, engines. Yeah. And when I picked, went to the library to look up the books in London, amazingly, I found four little engines. And it was an extraordinary experience picking up the books many years after, at least 25 years after I'd last seen them. When I started turning the page, I knew exactly which picture was coming next. You never, ever forget those Dolby pictures. Mm. So most certainly it was a a passion project as well as a sensible commercial thing to do.
1: Yeah, the illustrations do pop in a way that you can quite ineffably describe. Um, And by and large, with, with the documentary process, you got to meet so many wonderful people, including... Uh, David Mitten, and uh, Wilbur Audrey himself. Um, what was it like for you as as a documentary maker and as a storyteller? What was that process for you like?
5: Well, it was a pleasure to work with Wilbur. It was actually quite hard to get many people who weren't involved in the story to take part. And in the end, the only person I... Well, we've got Pete Waterman, who to my great regret was... Deleted from the final scene, he's the, the man who made Kate, Kylie Minogue and Jason Donovan into mega hits in Britain. Yeah. The um, but in the Blu-ray, he's going to be uh, he's going to be one of the deleted scenes. Michael Rosen was wonderful. The read books people were very helpful. Um, people like uh, Eric Marriott and. Um, rosemary Debnam and the staff who were at that point handling the the books brit Orcroft we filmed at shepperton but when dealing with the um the tv series there was a huge pr apparatus around it and um, it was w- rather easier working with the people on the book side but david Mitten was was an absolute uh, delight I, I have huge respect for him mm. and uh, I, I just feel that uh, really he should be remembered as one of the one of the greats of, of children's TV.
1: And I think one of, one of the beautiful things, and I think it transcends across the documentary itself. I think you tapped into a really nice, honest, personal side of Wilbert Audry himself. What was it like um, building that relationship with him, getting ready um, for the documentary itself?
5: We met him a few times before we filmed him, and I. At some point, we put up the idea to him, could we film him? And he wasn't, to be honest, wildly enthusiastic. I, I, but with the help of his late daughter, Hilary, we did persuade him. And he was integral to the thing. Without him, there wouldn't have been a film. And we filmed him first of all. And uh, he, he liked me, I think. I mean, he did actually ring me shortly before we went to film him. And he said quite passionately... I feel it's taken the BBC a rather long time to come round to talk to me, and I could only say yes, but uh, this is the problem with authors who are commercially successful but not accepted amongst their peers, that uh, they get ignored, and Wilbert knew that, uh, and uh, yeah, there had there always been these snide remarks about his stories in newspapers and magazines over the years, and. I guess in his mind, he thought, well, I'm writing them for the children and the parents who have to read them. It doesn't matter what the critics think, but it does matter what the critics think when that sort of thing has an impact on a television station. And it's hard to get uh, him his recognition. But the BBC once behind it were very, very enthusiastic, to be fair. Mm. But working with Robert, uh, he respect. I, I came to the conclusion he respected the fact that I knew the books, particularly the original books, the Railway Series books, which he had written, rather than the more recent uh, children's spin-offs, which I wasn't really all that aware of at the time. He um, and I had some interesting conversations about railways. When I was a child, these the old steam engines were still there. I didn't often see them, but, but and I've only got the haziest of memories. But uh, I, I did know the sort of role he was writing about, although it was at its tail end when I was a child, very young.
1: Yeah, and I I, I get the sense, I, I think it's quite interesting that you tap into, I guess, the the large community of um, authors and children's authors and how, I guess, um, Wilbert subjecting himself and kind of the thought on a, on a larger plane. Um, and I, I think it, you, you can very much tell um, when you're in conversation with him. Um, and one of the things I truly admire and respect about the dialogue in the Railway Series is that he never spoke down to um, younger people or children, and I think that's what I, th- I think. That's a part of the magic of the original stories. Do you reckon that, with that in account, he kind of maybe potentially had one up on other authors around him, or was doing something quite innovative in that process?
5: Yes, quite definitely. After the film went out, Enid Blyton's daughter contacted me, and we tried fruitlessly to make a film about her mother and she said something very interesting i said how did enid Blyton do it she could firstly write at a fantastic rate but she said she still retained the idea of how a child's mind works she in fact, she, she, her daughter said she more or less kept a child's mind all her life in one respect i think with wilbert he also understood as he says at the end how a child's mind work and it's crucial to be a, a ch- ch- children's author you've got to be able to um think at their their level the repetitive phrases that he knew children like and things like that which is true when my own daughter was trying to tell her stories and I know that his childhood was very unhappy in one respect because his heroic older brother died in very very early days of the great war and um, it had shattered his father and uh, I I just have a feeling that uh, Wilbur was always keen to how shall I put it, retreat into the happiest early memories which were walking with his father alongside the, the railway lines and talking to the railwaymen. I, I don't think it was really in Wilbur's nature to talk down to people. He, he you know, You've got to understand this strange system that existed in his childhood that uh, <laughs> the gentlemen, so-called, could go onto the railway if they had an interest in them and just talk to the workers. They'd never do that now. But there was a kind of deference then towards the, uh, the upper classes to which Wilbur would have been born. And yet in return, that, that, that those men would treat the rail, railwaymen with great respect. And Wilbur always liked nothing more than to earn the respect of railwaymen, drivers, the men who worked on the trackside. And I think with children, he, he understood pretty quickly how you have to write to them and for them. Uh, and uh, obviously he realized you, you, you can't condescend. He does say in the documentary that when he was a child, there are these very moralistic stories that children were force-fed and he said he could never he never much cared for them he and his brothers liked them intensely at times and um, he wanted to be different he wanted to write something that children would appreciate and not feel that they were being lectured to in.
1: yeah there's a very um modest i guess kind of presence um in the stories i guess collectively and um you can definitely tell that with um wilbert as an individual as well and um i can definitely understand that um I guess, that, um, that focus on that particular time of his life. Um, what do you feel, I guess, a, a, as, as a domino effect to um, how the books have um, prevailed, I guess, steam trains and uh, railways, how do you think this has affected um, some of the heritage railways and lines that you would have spoken to um, in mm-hmm. the documentary as well?
5: I only went to one of them which just happened to coincide with what we wanted uh, in terms of filming days. That's the West Somerset Railway. But I also knew that it was a particularly beautiful railway. It's a lovely part of the of the English countryside with the coast at the side. And I thought this would look very good in terms of almost unconsciously creating a a kind of Dolby type scenario of the sea and green hills and so forth. But what I have realized is that the the TV series has been over the decades, immensely helpful in promoting Britain's preserved railways. I was with um, our friend Tom Jedski and his father on the mid Hants line in June, which is where I got the photograph of that uh, Thomas lookalike, which I put up on my crowdfund. And it was a Thomas Open Day. And I, I was intrigued at how children who can't possibly have any real awareness of the trains of the past were there lapping it all up uh, and uh, it, that was all driven by the uh by, by the fact that the the tv series existed if it hadn't been for for that i suspect that they would have earned a lot less money over the decades uh, now i think they're very tightly controlled but um, on the west somerset all they'd done really was, was paint a face on, on uh, a, a great western railway prairie tank I think it was but um, seeing the children w- watching this actor play the fact controller it's like they were looking at an apparition they were genuinely in awe of the fact that this man was walking up and down dressed like the fact controller and uh, it, it was uh, quite bizarre really was
1: one of the main reasons and we've drip it a little bit in our conversation so far, one of the reasons that we're um, talking today is um, to promote um, the hard work that you're putting into the, re- the re-release yeah. of um, your documentary. Tell us about um, how it came about and um, where it's gotten to now.
5: As you know, I've been helping Brannon on, uh, on his uh, wonderful documentary that he's making. And I, <laughs> involuntarily this year, Re immersed myself in the whole Railway Series legend, I suppose. I, I became, I got my interest back in it. But uh, it was Tom who suggested, Tom Jetsky, that uh, we could maybe try and crowdfund to remaster some of the film material, starting with Wilbert. And in the process, I would offer as a reward something people often ask me for which is a, a much much higher quality copy of the the documentary over the years i've made available a few copies but they're really taken off a super vhs they don't look bad but they're no near as good as they should be but we got out all the original um master tapes transmission tapes the rolls, and now with a crowd fund, I'm learning as I go. You have to have a certain flexibility. I thought set a fairly modest target, which will cover Woolbert and also the, um, the, the 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 many f- the production process costs of a, a Blu-ray with bonus features. I'm particularly looking forward to cutting new um, short films for it from the existing material. I, I, we we hit the original target pretty quickly, just over a day. But what I've since been doing is pushing to um, raise more money so that we can remaster onto 2K high definition more roles. And it's an ongoing process. We're halfway through. Uh, We've raised at the moment about six and a quarter thousand pounds. Obviously, I'm talking sterling British currency, but I'd like to go as far beyond that as I can so we can master as many roles as possible. And at the moment, I'm trying to raise more money so that we can reproduce in high definition the uh, the West Somerset Railway you know, because we shot an awful lot there that day. Uh, the, the, the amount of rolls shot in total for the production, I think, has come to about 60, 6.0. But um, the more money we can raise, the more uh, more roles I can preserve for the future in this way. But the, um, the, the idea for the Blu-ray is that it, it, it's a wonderful one-off reward for uh, for fans who wish to contribute to um, a very important task of future-proofing the, the original film materials. And the Blu-ray, of course, has a chance, because it's got so much capacity, as of DVDs in general, particularly on Blu-rays, it provides the opportunity to um, put far more material on it. A few deleted scenes like Pete Waterman and um, more of Wilbert. And I, I think I'll be announcing in, in, in due course pretty soon to, to create one or maybe two extra extras in the form of short films which are related to the the railway series or to the 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 whole phenomenon.
1: It's an exciting process, and it's uh, wonderful to see you create and Tom as well to create this time capsule of uh, and and this idea of future proofing, the content that you went and created as well, which is lovely. Um, what's some of the elements that now that you're kind of going back through, what are some of the elements that are, uh, you 're becoming most excited about um, for people to
5: see uh, in due course soon i 'd love to show more of West Somerset Railway and also to include more of today at Shepperton. But, uh, to have more of the um, long interview that we filmed with Wilbert. Not a, not a huge amount. It actually went in the final documentary. We we shot I think about ten roles. Now that would be a hundred minutes. At times there are repetitions, at times he pauses but uh, there was far more to go in. Also we filmed Christopher, Audrey and Hillary and uh, Hillary Fortnum Wilbert's daughter, um, younger daughter and Christopher said some very interesting things which have not gone into the original documentary, I'm very keen to um, find a way of folding those in, if, uh, if possible. Really, everybody said many, many more things than you, you see in the documentary. But I particularly like the idea of uh, more of the West Somerset, uh, more of Shepperton, more of Christopher, more of Hillary, and um, perhaps a bit more from uh, Eric Marriott as, as well, because uh, he played such an integral role in making the whole thing happen pleasure to work with Michael Rosen he really was great
1: that's very exciting to hear um, all those names that you've dropped there is there anything when you're thinking about the process that you're currently going through that you'd like to um,
5: share or tell the fans um, at this moment in time well so much of it depends on how much money we can raise and uh, as I said I'm new to crowdfunding gone quite well I'm very inspired by how well Brannon did with his crowdfund what I really hope is that we can get the word out to as many fans as possible, wherever they are in the world, to um, to 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 back the project in the remaining two weeks. I um, one thing I would like to stress, and I did say this in the, the Kickstarter page, I've got a lot of experience of distributing DVDs, which are essentially the same as Blu-rays in terms of manufacture, because I've done a lot of aviation documentaries. I've already got my own established setup or mailing DVDs out to anywhere in the world. So we can do that with the Blu-rays. Please don't worry about your location. But the the, the real goal is just to make the most of the last two weeks, getting the message out there. And then uh, working with Tom, we can really crack on and um, start cutting these bonus features while uh, also getting negatives remastered.
1: It's very exciting, and for people who would love to—I know I'm silly—and but for people who would love to um, back your project, where can they um, locate that?
5: It's on Kickstarter, and uh, it's very simple. I thought, what title? It is called "The Thomas the Tank Engine Man." Nicholas Jones, N I C H O L E S Jones, Kickstarter, and I'm pretty sure that if you just put the the title, my name, and Kickstarter in, it will come up. My own website is Quantafilms at q u a n t a f i l m s dot com or dot co uk and I can always be contacted that way. I, I've made it quite clear to people who can't in fact use debit cards on Kickstarter that they can actually send me funds by PayPal and join the list of people who will get the Blu-ray. I'm fully open to all approaches. I'm always contactable via my website or via Kickstarter, but um, Kickstarter is the one we're using as opposed to some of the others. And uh, it is called the Thomas the Tank Engine Man and put that into the Kickstarter search. You will get to the project straight away. You'll see this lovely photograph of uh, Thomas, which I took on the mid-hands while Tom was filming it. And at that point, you can play the trailer, which is one minute, 50 seconds of rather nice clips out of the original documentary
1: most definitely and i've seen the trailer and it's definitely um tantalizing uh some of those memories that i saw of the um, original documentary as well it's very exciting to see it um, all come together but nicholas all the best with the process um, and um we look forward to seeing how it goes as well my pleasure
0: that was a fabulous interview Denham. well done Bravo, bravo.
1: Thank you very much. Uh, and thank you to Nick for taking the time to uh, talk with me. Um, it was really great hearing about um, the creation of this doco, um, the work that he did with Audrey, and um, especially being on the set of the show as well. Um, but please do back This documentary, um, I can't fathom it enough. Um, I've seen it. It's fantastic. And uh, the more money that can go into this, uh, the more that can be restored as well. Um, I know it's going to look spectacular. We'll pop links to the Kickstarter in this episode. So do check it out if you get the opportunity and support
0: it too. Mm, Yes. yes. And we'll also upload it to our socials as well. So if at all you can't access our little... Uh, episode description then yes there are avenues available to you and while we're on the subject of socials actually let's run through them we are of course on facebook that is facebook.com forward slash right on track thomas podcast
2: you've got our instagram at t t t e underscore right on track
1: and you also have our twitter at (whistles) on track thomas
2: you love the whistling I do. You you can also find us on our website, right forward slash podcast.
0: hmm And we've also got our email address as well. You can always reach out to us via that. And that is much the same actually. Right on track Thomas at gmail.com. It's been lovely. Uh, chatting with you guys all today,
2: and we'll be back mm-hmm. next week covering up the full final episodes
0: of Series 6. And, Parry, what do they happen to be? Yes, I have them right in front of me here. We've got Edward, the very useful engine, or really useful engine, depending on what part of the world you're from, as well as three stories from the Skarloey Railway, Duncan Duncan, <laughs> Rusty Saves the Day, and Faulty whistles plus we've also bringing on a special guest and yeah how many special guests is that now in this season i, I can't, we have I've a few we have a few time. you can
1: see them all on our website
0: yes you i ch- can
2: yes yes uh on our website you can find our favorite episodes favorite books but that will put the number of guest hosts we have had on this series uh so far Uh, For Series 6 at 6, fittingly. Six Six. guests
1: for Series 6. And may I add, uh, next episode will be episode 50 of the Ride on Track podcast. So we're going to have some special surprises in there. We're going to have a little bit of extra fun. So do tune in. It's going to be a hoot and a half
0: i mm, I'm so happy we've reached a half century and it only took us, what, two years? Yeah, it took yeah two and a about bit about, years. Yeah. We're doing
2: well, we're doing well with a little mm. hiatus in the middle, it's good. But until we return then, I'm still Connor. I'm still Parry.
1: And I'm still Denim.
2: And we'll see you later on the Right on Track podcast. Adios, guys.
0: Bonsoir.
1: Bye-bye.